Gracias por sintonizar nuestro podcast. Te habla tu servidor, el Pastor Mario. Esperamos que este mensaje te anime, te desafíe y hable a tu corazón. Disfruta el mensaje. First and foremost, church, good morning. I want to say good morning to everybody today. I want to just take a little bit of, a couple minutes because I got a little bit of extra time. I just, I feel in my heart, um, and I don't know, I kind of just perceive it, that there's some type of lack of connection this morning. And it's, and it's, it's, it's not on God's end. He's very much reaching out. It's like in sense that he's just kind of like trying to reach, but it's, it's on us, um. I don't know what it is. I know that many of us are experiencing different things. We're all going through something. Everyone says something. But I, I want to tell you this morning, don't glorify your something. It's a problem, yes. Is it troubling? Probably. But don't glorify it. Don't make everything about that. I've One thing I've learned in, about leadership is... Regardless of your issues, you still have to lead. And it's, it's, it's why I understand more and more why many are chosen, but few are called. And what I love about the Father is He gives us chance after chance, <laughs> He gives us an opportunity after an opportunity. And I want to I give you an opportunity this morning, so I want you to stand to your feet. I'm not going to start anything or say a word on today's topic until, until we, we, we establish authentic relationship or authentic connection this morning, because if not, I know for a fact that I'm going to speak to a wall, and then it's, just, it's, it's, just, it's, it's not going to go where it needs to go. I want to make sure that we're listening We're ready, but more so than just listening and being ready, we actually want to hear the voice of God. I think if you don't want to do that this morning, um, I, think, I, I think your service may have concluded, and I think you, you know, you're free to go, but if you want to actually hear from the Father this morning, Lord, we pray to you in this very moment, those here that are present those that are watching through the camera, Lord, whatever it may be that is weighing on your people today, Father, I pray that your spirit, that your powerful, mighty, unbeaten, beautiful spirit would just rest on us this morning, in this moment. Our fears our doubts, our insecurities, our anxiety, our depression, whatever that we have chosen to say that is ours, Lord, in this moment we choose to release it. 
We choose to let go of it. It is not my fear. It is not my anxiety. It is not my depression. It is not my worry. In Jesus' mighty name, I release it, and I say that I grab hold of the hand of my Father. I grab hold of the promises of my Father. I grab hold of faith that comes from my Father. I decide to grab on and to not let go of my Father this morning. All those that are listening, Father, I pray that you would open their ears, that you would uncloud their mind, that you would unclog their spiritual senses so that they may perceive and sense, hear and see. In this morning, Lord, I pray that your fathership would just sit over us this morning. We don't want to do anything else, Lord, until we know that you have our attention. Father, because you give us your full attention, but Lord, we always like in giving you 100%. This morning, Father, I, I give you my attention. As a sitting leader in this place, Father, I decide to do what you've called me to do wholeheartedly, unapologetically, and boldly. And I thank you, Father, that you stand with me. Thank you, Papa, this morning for standing with me, for embracing me, for embracing your people and standing with your people, the people that you call my children. We want to be children on your lap this morning. That's all we want to do. That's all I want to be, a child on daddy's lap, not worried about anything else other than just knowing that I'm with my papa and that somehow, some way, some shape, and some form, it's all going to work out. And, and we believe in the simplicity of that promise. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. Before you go to your seat, I want you to touch five people and tell them, be fathered this morning. Tell them, be fathered, be fathered. Tell, touch, touch five people, tell them to be fathered this morning, and then we're going to go ahead and jump into it. This, this, this morning, our pastor is preaching at uh, a different church that he was invited to, um, so we bless him and we hope that we hope and we know that God is speaking through him. He's he's doing it in English, so I pray more grace over his life this morning. I pray joy, I pray effectiveness, and I just, I mean, I I've always known that he could do it in English. I don't know why he won't do it here, but maybe one day I'll be able to convince him. Um, if I can do it in Spanish. He can do it in English, right? So let's all keep him accountable, and let's give him a little bit of pressure on that. <laughs> I'm kidding. So today I'm going to, I, I haven't used paper notes in years. Uh, I made the mistake of thinking that my iPad was charged, um, but it's not. So I, I got a little bit of percentage, but just in case, you can never go wrong with paper. Paper is, it's not going anywhere. No matter how digital we get, 
we have paper, so I'm thankful for that. This morning, I want to I, um, continue, I, I want to build on something that I started, and that's the beautiful thing about the Word of God, is that it, it just always adds to your life. About a year ago, a year and a half ago, August of 2021, I, start, I shared one message called The Strategies of Satan. And essentially, it was a breakdown of the main things that the devil uses in your life to ensure his success in your life. And I gave you four, the first message, and then the Lord put it on my heart to add on to that message. So we did a part two, and I gave you an extra three strategies. And as I was contemplating, I I thought I had already got the sermon for this morning. I was going to preach about building boats in deserts. I used that phrase a couple weeks ago. But then the Lord said, not yet. And I said, Lord, but it's so good. But he said, not yet. And then he revealed to me, again, more strategies that the enemy uses that I think are so important. And this is stemming from the book of Sonship. How many of you guys are still on your book of Sonship? I have been dissecting that book more than I've dissected any other book in my life. It, it's very difficult to read a couple of pages and then just you know move on. I have to go back and then I get phrases and then I hear things and then I write sermons and then I have to, I have to go back and think, oh, I got to finish, but then I got to go back and it's just this cycle and I love that the Lord is speaking and I hope that he's speaking to you as well. But a lot of the basis from today stems from a revelation that I received out of a chapter in that book. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to briefly go and fill you in on the strategies that the enemy has used in your life and in mine, and that he's using in the life of society and people today. It's a total of seven, so I'm going to go through them, and I encourage you to go back and watch, listen to these messages. They'll be, it'll be going on our podcast here this week. Um, so that we can have it all in one place and you can hear them over and over because repetition is good. Right? You don't just tell your kid one time, don't misbehave. How often do you got to tell your kid to not misbehave? Over and over, especially if they're under the age of two. Sometimes un- un- under the age of 30 also. The first strategy that I shared with you was that the devil wants for you to miss him. And all of this stems from Genesis chapter 3, when the serpent speaks to Eve. The first thing that the enemy wants to do in your life is he doesn't want you to notice that it's him. So he will hide himself as some type of entity or person or thing that you will never suspect could be the devil. The second strategy, I'm just... Honey, can you take this? This is, It's just going to distract me. The second strategy of the devil is to make you believe God is holding out on you. That God is actually not giving you everything that you deserve. When in reality we know that we have all things and all things come from Him. The third strategy is the devil is 
the third strategy of the devil is to make you believe that God's word is untrustworthy. Did God really say? Did he really promise? It's 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 not gonna fit, Robin. It's it's a different charger. It's it's fine. It's it's fine. I got my trusty paper. It's fine. Did God really say? The serpent asks Eve, sowing doubt into what the word of God said. Okay. The fourth strategy that the devil uses is to position you in the place of God. If you eat of this, you will be like God. And the devil wants you to believe that you actually can't be like God because that's what he tried to do. Failed miserably, but he still tried. The fifth strategy of the devil is to convince you that he's actually right. That he's on your side. That God is just this big bad bully trying to step on you and he's the one defending you. When it's actually the other way around. The sixth strategy of the devil is to place you in a mindset of success while actually living in failure. When you think, well, I'm right, and I know that I'm right, and, I'm, and everyone else is wrong, the devil's got you right where he wants you. Yeah, you keep thinking that you're right, when in reality, you in that mindset is breaking relationship with people. It's destroying your covenant with others. You're living in failure, but your mindset is you're thinking that you are in actually success. And there's so many people with that mindset today, even, even within the church and even in church leadership. The seventh strategy is that the devil wants to illegitimize your identity. He wants to make you believe that you are actually not a son or a daughter. And if you want the breakdown of every single strategy, I'm not going to do it today. It would take me in the course of hours to be able to break down each one again. But again, I encourage you to go and watch it. I was blessed to hear myself preach to myself and I think that it would really help to refresh and analyze are any of these operating in my life today am I under the influence of any of these tactics from the enemy and it is my hope and I'm praying that God would also give me a series called the strategies of the father because I would love to be able to counter and give you those things. But honestly, I think in the last year we have received nothing but strategies, nothing but tactics. But those were the seven. Today I'm, I'm going to be giving you two more doses. Everyone say doses. The church for so long has allowed itself to become a defensive entity. The believers of the modern church have allowed themselves to become passive and tolerant at any expense at their convictions. I have had many people that belong to the alphabet community. And a lot of them I've known, they're teachers, they're on my, they're on my team, I deal with them on a daily basis. I often have uh, get-togethers with my teachers at my home in which they go to my home. And this is, the, this is what I've learned. We cannot Satanize or demonize them 
because they're creation. They're God's creation. And there was a section in the, in the book of Sonship that I know was the one that my dad was hinting at that was going to like really mess with my head. And when I read it and I thought, oh my gosh, now I know what he was talking about. There's this, this, this section in the book that mentions that all are children or are, are offspring of God. Everyone is an offspring of God. Because where do we stem from? Who is our, wh- wh- where is our point of origin? Adam. Adam and Eve are our point of origin, right? Everything from them, even after the flood, Adam and Eve are still a point of origin. And we, we are all offspring of God, all of us. So to demonize an offspring of God is the wrong thing to do. To accept their wrong choices, that is where we're supposed to operate differently. But I have I've never allowed in any of relationship that I've had with anyone of that community or anyone that opposes my own beliefs, I've always marked very clearly, this is my belief, this is my conviction, this is what, you know, this is, this, this, this is me. And I'm always going to tell you the truth from where I found truth. And sometimes it makes good conversations, sometimes it makes for very, really awkward moments. But nonetheless, the the group of believers that nowadays call themselves the church or Christians are so tolerant, won't say a word, won't stand up for anything because we are all about defense. We'll let them, let, we have to turn the other cheek. Yes, but you also have fists. And I'm going to get into that in a bit. We have allowed the devil and his demons to infiltrate our schools, our family, our society, and even our own churches and ways of living. Simply because we have failed to understand what the devil is doing. As a church, we need to fully understand that the enemy is poisoning society. The enemy doesn't give anything good. Nothing good stems from the devil. Nothing. It is, it, is, it is impossible for the devil to say, here, take this. It says pure life, but it's pure poison. It will taste good in the beginning, but it will corrupt you on the inside. There is a lingering effect with the devil's fruits. In Genesis chapter 3, we see the strategy of the devil, and that is to bring negative consequences into your life. There is nothing the devil will do that is not without consequence. Everything he does is to ensure that some way, shape, or form, Danny will suffer a consequence, period. Not a good one, but a bad one. Everything the devil will do is to point Danny into making the wrong choice, therefore suffering, and therefore making the devil happy. The devil's happy place is in our suffering. Papa's happy place is in our loving. 
the World Cup is happening in these last weeks, right? And we've all been excited and some of us have been heartbroken and some of us have even cried because we have seen these wonderful athletes that played their last matches and will never play again, you know, and it's an amazing thing. And it's awesome that we have YouTube and we can go back and we can watch all these videos and learn from all these athletes. But this, this is what I found interesting, that in, in, in professional sports, when they're competing with one another, they will go and they will watch film on the other team. They have to. If you don't know who you're playing, you won't have any strategies against them. If you are a good coach, you will make sure that your team knows all about the opposing team. You will make sure that your team knows how to stop their best player, how to read their plays, and how to beat them. You will create a, strat a, a strategic plan to overcome your enemy. That's, that's how the professionals do it. The enemy, the devil and his demons, have film on you. They go back and they watch. What, what is that thing that they do all the time that no one knows about? What is their tendency? How can we get them to react badly? How can we get them to think badly? Let's go back and watch when we were able to do it the last time. Let's go back. They have film on you. They have assigned, designated demons that watch your life like hawks. Doesn't feel good, huh? Knowing you're being watched. <laughs> they, they learn your movements. They learn your tricks. They learn your plays. They learn even your mistakes. And they learn what you're really good at. They focus on your strengths. And they look for your weaknesses. They know your habits, weak points, strong points, inclinations, and preferences. And then they tailor a strategy for your life to produce negative consequences. That's the reality. That's truth. Okay? If you don't believe me, read your Bible. Genesis chapter 3. Anyone freaked out at this point? Because I'm just starting. No? Okay, good. Now, I tell you this not to scare you or to make you think, oh, man, where's the camera? No. It has nothing to do with trying to hide yourself because Adam and Eve already did that and it didn't work out for them. It's not about hiding yourself from the enemy. It is about Walking in sonship. Walking as a son or a daughter. Today it is my desire that you would learn what the enemy is plotting against you. So that you're able to see. Everyone say see. To see what he's doing. I want you to go with me to the book of Genesis chapter 3. So we can read exactly how all of this began. And then we can move into the good stuff. Genesis chapter 3, 
the woman and the serpent, the man and the woman's sin. And it says this in verse 1, verses that we've read numerous times. It says this, Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed has God said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden. The woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat. But from the fruit of the tree, which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat from it or touch it, or you will die. The serpent said to the woman, you surely will not die, for God knows that in the day that you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and knowing evil. Verse 6, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate. And she gave also to her husband with her and he ate. The eighth strategy that I want to give you this morning is this. The eighth strategy of Satan is to open your eyes to, cor- to corrupted perspectives. And this stems from verse 7. Verse 7 says this, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized... Hold up. What do you mean they realized? They realized they were what? Hold up. Weren't they always naked? Hadn't they seen each other naked their entire life? So what, what did they realize? What, 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 what is that realization? If they had already seen it, that was their normal. Their normal, their normal was to see each other in their, in their, in their glory. Naked. So what did they realize? How can you realize something you've always seen? And that you've always been normal with. They realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. I want to ask you this. What did they know how, what to cover? How, who, who, who taught them what being naked was? <laughs> and who told them being naked was bad? The moment that they fell into the trap of the enemy, their first thing that was corrupted was their perspective of one another. Oh, I felt that. The very moment in which they disobeyed what God instructed them not to do, the first thing they lost was their ability to see the way God saw. Their perspective in that moment went from being godly to being lustful, earthly, flesh-like. It was immediate. And their eyes were... What eyes? What eyes were open if they were always open? God didn't make Adam and Eve blind. (laughs) Because God's not blind. 
God made Adam exactly a replica like him. He just took a little bit of himself and said, here you go, Adam, you're just like me. Adam was a spitting image of the father. Eve was a perfected creation from Adam who came from the father. So their nakedness was not ungodly. It was by design. Their nakedness was not wrong because their nakedness represented, I have nothing to hide. I have nothing to cover up because I don't know, I, 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 can't, do, I can't do wrong. I've done nothing wrong. <laughs> but the moment in which they took and they fell under the strategy of the enemy, the enemy watched them and he knew if I could just get Eve alone for a little bit, if I can just convince her that God's word isn't really God's word, did God really say, you're not going to die? The moment that she believed the lie, was the moment her eyes were opened. So she just followed through with the action. And now her perspective was corrupted. She could no longer see godly. Because she saw her husband. Her husband saw her. And they immediately realized something is wrong. What was so wrong about them being naked with each other? Were they not husband and wife? Were, were, were they not created to be together? So there had to be something in their perspective of seeing the other that was no longer aligning with the way God saw them. Because they chose to act on in the corrupted one, which is Lucifer, Satan, the devil. So now they saw the way he saw. Now they saw with eyes of corrupted perspective. Let me ask you this question. Why did Adam and Eve feel insecure about being naked in front of each other? How can you feel insecure about being naked in front of the one who you've always been naked in front of? It's like if a husband and wife... After 40 years of marriage, one day the husband says, Honey, can you turn around? I'm going to undress. The wife would look at him like, What's wrong with you? I've been married 40 years. It wouldn't make sense, right? Right? <laughs> it would be weird after 40 years of marriage, even after five years of marriage, to feel like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go change in the bathroom. And you close the door, and it's like, it's not like I haven't seen you before. It's like I often tell my wife, when, and, and during Oliver's birth, I told her, I saw everything about you. Everything about you I've, I've seen. The same way that you've seen everything about me. So whenever you think about it, how can you feel insecure about something you've always seen before? The moment that corruption enters your perspective, it always brings in what's called insecurities. Because now you're no longer confident 
in who you are. Now you're no longer confident in who he says he is. And if you're not confident in those areas, immediately you start to think, I need to start covering myself. I need to start making up lies about myself. I need to start, start pushing people away so no one sees me. The enemy will enable a perverse mode. Everyone say perverse mode. In your sight that will make you see everything the way that he sees it. You will no longer be able to see godly. Now you will just see devil-like. And I have a lot of personal experience in devil-like perspectives. A lot. And I think in an in a ironic way, the, the Father allowed me to abide in that terrain of devil-like perspectives. He dipped me into it so that I could learn and then I could flip the script on the devil and expose him. Sometimes we endure things that make no sense, but it's just God saying, you're going to figure it out later. Just let me dip you in this turmoil. Let, let me let you suffer a little bit so that when you understand why, you're going to flip the script. And you're now going to be a destroyer of what once was destroying you. Just be, just, just be patient. Everything works out. Everything works out when the Father's in, in control. There's nothing that he's going to allow you to experience that he says, Wendy, I'm going to dip you through this, and I'm going to leave you. Bye. <laughs> no. He's going to dip you, and he's, and he's going to tell you to learn. Learn. So that when he takes you out and positions you, after he redeems you and cleans you up, and he says, now, speak. Teach, educate others on what you had to go through. And if you ever want to really dive deep into what's devil-like perspectives, we can talk one off when you invite me to dinner and you pay for it. Well, I'll give it all to you for free. Or just invite me. But I would, it's, it's, it's a perspective in which it is impossible, literally impossible to see God. You can't. When you dive deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper into devil-like perspectives, every single person, every single entity, you can no longer see them as just a person. Immediately, your eyes go to, boom, undressing. Boom, lustful actions. Boom, perverse mentalities. And you just, it's literally like popcorn. And within seconds... You've created this fantasy world in which it's nothing but devil-like things. And the worst of all is that now you crave the actual fantasy. So your actions now are moving towards that devil-created fantasy. And everything you do is towards something that is never and was never real. That's a devil-like perspective, just to give you a little dip on it. But if you ever want to go more profound, we can that the enemy will enable a perverse mode. It's a switch. It's a switch built into all humanity because we've all been corrupted. The moment that Adam and Eve were corrupted, our humanity 
was corrupted. You won't see God in your life. You will only see God picking on your life. You will never see God's actual power. You will only see God's lack of power. Why couldn't he stop this? Why did this happen to me? You won't see God's faithfulness. You will only see God ignoring your needs. If you can only see the negative and the bad and everything that happens around you, your perverse mode is turned on. If it is very difficult for you to find something good or positive or even hopeful, odds are you are strictly operating in perverse mode. Perverse mode does not mean sexually only. I I don't want you to limit yourself to just sexual stuff because some of you are looking at me like well that doesn't work on me because i don't think like that it has nothing to do with just the sexualizing of people or things it has everything to do with doing something opposite of the father that's perverse god is love the the devil's hate if you have any ounce of hate you're operating in perverse mode it's not limited we the church has gotten really bad at labeling certain words to mean only certain things But that's not the case. Perverse means perverse. It just means not godly or the opposite of God. Period. You fill in the blanks. But if if your mind can only focus on what's wrong with everything, your perverse mode is turned on. And I know that this next thing is difficult, but it is something that I have tried very hard to implement in my own life and to utilize in my moments of frustrations and uh, and challenges. The next time you're looking at a situation where you feel that you have a need or that you're in trouble or you feel helpless or you feel frustrated or you feel like, you know, just quitting, giving in, doing, doing exactly what you know you're not supposed to do, ask yourself, am I looking at only the bad? Or can I see some good? Because here's the thing about godly perspective. Godly perspective will see the problem, but will not glorify it. We, we as a group of individuals, have become very good at glorifying problems. My need, oh, it's because I'm in need, and my need, oh, my need, oh, I need my need, and my need is my need. That's all we talk about. That's all we tell people about. And no wonder why people say, I thought, I, thought you, I thought you went to church. I do go to church and I pray and I believe in God. And Be wise to not glorify your needs, to not glorify your problems. Because a godly perspective will see the problem. It's, the godly perspectives are not a perspective of denial. No, problems are real. It's real. It's a, it's a real thing. Problems happen. But when you are looking at things through a godly filter, a godly perspective, you see the problem, but you glorify the Father. You see the issue, but you focus on the one that can do all things. You see that this is a huge deal, a very big thing that could cause a lot of harm, but you focus on the one that keeps you steady. 
Because you know that if you fall deep into your need and you lose yourself into your need, you're going to glorify your need. And that in itself is perverted because no one should get glory but the Father. So you see how perverse mode will flip you? It will make you glorify everything but the one who you should actually be focused on. Because the enemy knows if you glorify the Father, your perspective is going to realign. You're going to realize you're so much bigger. You're able. You're more than able. You're the only one that can. You did it with Jonah. You did it with David. You did it with Daniel. You did it with Jesus. You did it with Paul. Why can't you do it with Kevin? (laughs) The moment that you shift, the enemy knows the power of perspective. Does he know that? And I'm 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 going to tap on, remind me, the power of perspective. I'm sorry to put that on you, but it's just, yes. The first thing that we lose sight of when we are in difficulties and troubling moments is the God-related perspective. When we allow our emotions and our humanity to be the first thing that pops up, you can forget about a godly perspective. Because you're going to look, and because you know your spouse, you're going to look for those things that you know hurts them. If you know your brother or your sister, you're going to look for those things that you know is going to hurt them. How many have ever done that before? I'd be the first one to raise my hand. I know how to hurt my wife. I know. I know know her insecurities. I know everything that she doesn't like. I know everything that she does like. I know what she hates and what she loves. I know how to hurt her. The question is, what am I doing with that knowledge? What are we doing with the knowledge that we have of our spouse, of our children, of our friends? For pastors, our brothers and sisters in the faith. And I'm going to give you a little bit, a little golden nugget of relational success. If you don't know the weaknesses of your brother or sister, are they really your brother or sister? Intimacy creates vulnerability, which causes exposure. If there's no exposure, then there's no intimacy, then, then there's no relationship then what you have is just a common interest. We go to the same church. Ask yourself, do I know what they struggle with? Not struggling, what they struggle. What the weak points, their tendencies, their negative tendencies. Do I know that about them? Am I I a loving enough person to allow people to share that with me, or do I immediately jump in judgment? Ask yourself. That one's free. Now, unless your mind, your actual mind, unless it gets renewed, the Romans 12, one way, right? The renewal of your mind, meaning the complete flushing out of what once was and the complete bringing in of what is, unless your mind gets renewed, you will not be able to correct this perspective. If the enemy can plant in you to turn on your perverse mode because he can't do it for you. The enemy can't be like, Danny, come here right now. Come here. The, sorry, I, I didn't mean to sound like, come here now. I mean, like, come here. Like, sorry. The, the, the enemy can't be like, turn it on now. And then Danny be like, okay, flip the switch. No. The enemy is going to be like, hey, I think you should do it. It sounds like a good idea. 
Sarah's not hasn't been a good wife lately. She's not going to know about the other one. Why not? It's just one time. I promise you it's going to feel better than ever. Now the choice is on who. The, all the devil's doing is just doing what he does best. Lie. <laughs> the enemy can just lie to you. Understand that if you hear a lie or the voice of darkness, no, it's a lie. The enemy cannot give good advice. He gives corrupted advice. So again, the enemy's plan for Danny is to make negative consequences of fruit in his life. So he's going to say things where he knows, now this is just an example, where the, if Danny struggles with uh, faithfulness, the enemy will go to him and say, are you sure that she, Sarah was the one? What if there was another one that was actually the right one and you were wrong? Maybe you made a mistake in your wife, Danny? <gasps> and again, whose choice is it going to be? If he decides, you know what, maybe I did make a mistake, boom! If he even gives it or entertains it, the enemy can now have legality, legal action to go into his mind and say, Perverse mode on. So now when he goes to Sarah, he'll be like, oh, she's not even that pretty anymore. Her morning breath is so bad. Her food isn't even that good. And now what he once loved about Sarah, guess what? It's no longer pure and honest. Now it's corrupted. But again, who made the choice? We make those choices every day. We're the ones that stand here and we're either going to say, devil, shut your mouth. Or we're going to say, Papa, help. Or we're going to ignore the father and say, maybe, that maybe is what caused Eve to say, to look at the tree with desire. Because if you notice, the Bible says that when her eyes were open, she saw that the tree was desirable. When you look at things that back then were not desirable, but now you see it as desirable, caution, perverse mode might be turned on. And now we see Danny, and he's wrestling with this, but he paid attention during Pastor Kevin's sermon about the strategies of Satan part three, and he said, wait a minute. This, why would God so doubt in me? Why would the father so doubt in my heart? If before God I married Sarah, God spoke to me that it was Sarah. God allowed me to suffer in the refinery and in the rigs and in a department store of musical instruments to go and fish out Sarah. Why would God do that if he would want me to leave her? Devil, shut your mouth. You're not going to get me. And I'm going to see my wife. And then instead of falling for the trap, he begins to pray over her with a pure and fire spirit filled prayer that I love my wife. My wife is a great. And then that solidifies a godly perspective of his wife. But see, it's a moment's decision. Does that mean that they're never going to have arguments where they're going to have to wrestle those thoughts? <laughs> You're always going to have them. I don't know of any couple that 
that has years and years of marriage that don't argue or have disagreements. I don't know of a couple. If you know one, let me know. But everyone has arguments, disagreements. But it's in those moments. What choices are you making? What thoughts are you entertaining? Maybe I should have gone with the other one. Or disagreements between friends. I've known Danny since high school. Maybe, maybe, maybe this guy should have never come back. And instead of seeing God, I see the devil. And my perspective on something good now becomes bad. So now I attack him. Yeah, dude, of course you've gained weight. Look at you, man. Dude, dude do, do something with your life. Be, and instead of helping him increase in his manhood and pushing him in his faith, I'm picking at him and I'm doing what the devil does to me. I break you down to put me above you. If you're always picking at someone and trying to break them down and criticizing and you can never see God in them, you might be corrupted. I might be corrupted. If you're hypercritical, perverse perverse mode is probably set to max. Because not even God is hypercritical with his children. God is graceful and he gives mercy. Can you and I give mercy? Can you and I be graceful? In the midst of those heated moments, what thoughts do we entertain? Do we use our spouse's weak points to hurt them the most? Or are we willing to say, God, I need, I need to see you in this. I need to see you right now. To avoid harm. Because remember, I always tell myself, I married God's daughter. In my mind, my father-in-law is God. And if I don't treat his daughter right, I'm looking for thunderbolts. Because my mind operates in this like video game cartoon world. That's how I see things. But that's how I need to always I realign myself. But it's not just in my marriage. It's in my relationship with others. I am friends with God's son. How am I treating God's son? Am I breaking him down to make myself feel better? Or am I, make, or am I enabling? No, Danny, you're not going to fall. I'm, I may be shorter, but you're not going to fall on my watch. I may be weaker, but I'm going to do whatever I can to make sure that you stand. What, what am I doing? Not just in, we're so focused on just marriages. What about our relationships with others? This is as important to God as this. Understand, relationship is relationship. With, with the spouse, with the brother, with your children, it's relationship. Be very mindful that perverse mode is not operating in your life because it's very difficult to accept it. It's very difficult. Thank you, Danny. Why? Because it enables pride in your heart. Pride was the reason that Lucifer fell from heaven. Perverse mode will let you believe, I'm right. You're wrong. Because again, the strategy of the enemy, one of them is to make you think that you're living in success or that you're correct while you're living in failure. Amen, little baby. Thank you. Now, 
mentioning about your mind being renewed, the, the Romans 12.1 version, we have to understand that it needs, your mind needs to be renewed, not retrained. Renewal and retraining are two separate things. When you hire an employee that's, you know, and they learn the business and they work there for 20 years, and then you, you have a system update and now things are going to change, you have to retrain your employees to work the new system, to know how to do it, because it's been 20 years. Yeah, that's not how the, it works in the spiritual realm. It's not about retraining. Because, and this is the big difference between renewal and retraining. Renewal, God is the one doing the work. Re, retraining is you striving to do the work. When, when I go to the gym or I do some type of workout, I have to force myself, right? I don't have to force myself to be a son of the Father. I just am. I don't have to force myself to be Wendy's husband. I am. I don't have to force myself to be Mario Gamas' son. I am. But I do have to train myself to get up early. That's my effort. Those are my physical efforts, and I fail more than I succeed. Why? Because they're my efforts. It's my lack of discipline. It's my lack of strength to do it. But when you are renewed, it is God sealed, and nothing can break what God seals. So be very mindful that it's not you doing, I'm not going to do it, 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 and then you do it. Because again, you can only resist for so long in your own strength. You alone, operating you alone, will only get you so far. But the moment that we realize, Lord, renew my, my, my mind. When we finally allow humility to enter our mind, God has a wonderful way of breaking our pride in a graceful manner. Because he doesn't do it with thunderstorms and lightning bolts. He does it with an embrace and with love. And he just melts all that arrogance away. And he just melts all that pride away. And then you realize, what was I arrogant about? If only I hadn't taken this long. There's a common phrase that I used to use when, when the Lord was processing me in, in the renewal of my mind. I, I would often find myself saying, if, I, if only I knew this before. If only. But God allows us to endure these things so that when He renews our mind, it's not just for a season. It becomes a lifestyle. Renew your mind. Don't, don't focus on retraining. Focus on renewal. Allow the Father to penetrate your mind so that you are able to be set free and that you don't see things the way the devil sees it. That you can actually see, see things the way the Father sees it. The power of perspective. Another pin in that. Almost there, yes. <laughs> thank you, thank you. See, she's on it. I love that. She's on it. Now, trust me when I tell you that the enemy is always looking for ways to force you to only see the flaws in others and never the flaws in yourself. And the reason why the enemy does that, why the enemy will put a magnifying... Come here, Danny. Sorry, I'm just going to... Just 
just sit here for now. Sorry, sir. I'm going to borrow him. Just come up here. Hold on. Let me. I'm going to put you in the chair, in the hot seat. This is, this is what the enemy does. He will put you in a position where all you see, Danny's shoes are dirty, his socks are smelly, his pant leg is not over his shoe, his watch is, doesn't match, his shirt's too small, his beard's not shaved right, he has acne, he's sweat. What am I doing? I'm criticizing things that, honestly, do they matter? As any now, all those things are just natural things. My shoes are dirty. My thing is not tucked behind my shoe. I'm sweaty. My watch doesn't match. I'm saying things about myself, but I'm using Danny. Okay, that way you don't feel bad. Okay, don't. It's not, it's not about you. It's me. Okay, my socks. One of my socks has, has a hole where the toe is, and I can I can feel it. Right? I I won't show you, but it's there. My dang dog did that. But see, when we focus only on the flaws of people, and that's all we see, and no matter what they do, no matter what, where they are, we're always just looking for, he has gold chains. No, they're fake. They're fake. He has, oh, he smells. We're just, we're just nitpicking, looking at everything wrong. And the reason why the enemy does that is to counter what Christ established as a command. In the book of Matthew, chapter 7, verse 3, Jesus says, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust? How big is sawdust? (laughs) You can't see it. One grain of sand, you can't even count it. It's impossible to grab one little speck of sawdust. So Jesus says, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own? But the enemy says, everything about them is wrong. The way they worship is wrong. The way that he governs his household is wrong. Every, you see the big difference? Because again, the enemy wants to convince you that what God has says about him is actually not real. Because that's a perverse perspective. God on the other turn, will have you look at your brother and say, this is not a guy you want to mess with. (laughs) Why? Not just because he's jacked. No, because he prays. He worships. He knows the scripture. This is not a guy you mess with. This guy is on fire. Shoes don't matter. If he's sweaty or not, it doesn't matter. If his watch matches or it doesn't matter. If he sings on key or not, is irrelevant. What God sees about him is the perspective that God allows us to see about others when we are not focused on the perverse mode. When we enable our godly perspective, it is difficult to see criticism of somebody else. What we do see Now, don't get me wrong. God will enable you to see, hey, I noticed that you're struggling with this. I don't want you to struggle alone. I don't want you to think that it's just you against the world, man. Versus, you're struggling with that? Wow, dude, you're such a bad Christian. You you probably don't even pray. Even in our Christian-esque vocabulary, we can operate in perverse mode. I notice you're struggling, man. 
that I'm here. I'll struggle with you. We'll figure this out. Some way, shape, or form. Two heads are better than one, right? A strand of three cords cannot be easily broken. It's biblical. <laughs> but see, it's the difference is our perspective. One perspective says, I'm above you. The other one says, let me wash your feet. Let me serve you. Let me be there for you. But it's perspective. Ah, me wash his feet? Psh, he should wash mine. Ooh, careful. You're, you're, you're sounding like dear old Lucy right now. You know who Lucy is? The morning star? The fallen angel, Lucifer? That's, that's Lucy. Now, I love when people hear this and they... And they say, well, you know, it's, 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 it's not the same thing. It is. Don't get so full of yourself and of your anger and frustration that you forget God's never wrong. Period. He's not. Thank you, Dan. And with the time I have left, oh boy, I was not expecting it to be this long. Yikes. I have, I, have, I have a choice to make here. Do we continue or do we leave it? You know what? The, the power of perspective, yes. I think I'm going to... The power of perspective. When, when we're thinking about this strategy of the enemy, where he turns on perverse mode in you, your perspective, the way that you see others, is a clear giveaway of where you're standing. If you only see above people, meaning that you look down, you physically look down on people, your perverse mode, you, 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 you are standing in a posture of Lucifer. Because Lucifer, in his heart and in his mind, believed that he could stand above God. This created being thought that he could stand above the one who made him. Kind of like sons always want to stand above their fathers when they're older and say, See, I made it. I'm a man. I didn't need you and all those things. That's Lucifer. But if your perspective, mind you, Jesus is, and in the time that he roamed the earth, still was the king of kings, the son of the most high, God. Jesus is God. And what I love about it is that he took a bowl and he took a towel. And what did he tell his disciples? Sit. Let me wash your feet. Instead of saying, all of you have the privilege of washing my feet, young disciples. Come and wash my feet. You have the privilege of washing my feet. He said, no, I need to wash yours. The perspective of Christ in that moment, this is, this is mind-blowing to me, was not looking down at his creation. No, it was him looking up at his creation. He looked up. He put them above himself. He put me above him.
in that moment, for that split moment, Jesus said, I'm going to serve you. Because what did Christ come to do? (laughs) He came to serve. What does Lucifer want you to do? Be served. (laughs) It's amazing when you learn how the enemy operates. When you learn how he does things. And he, he, he does not like being exposed. And me standing up here, believe me when I know that I, when, when, when I stand up here and I, and I share these things and I expose what the enemy does, I know that, the, that there's a target on my back. And there's always been a target on my back. I know. But I know that there's a hand on me. And the same hand that's on me stands on you. The same hand that holds me in the midst of an attack holds you in the midst of your attacks. I don't have to be afraid of, oh my gosh, I exposed the enemy. What's he going to do? I say, I exposed the enemy. Father, I'm in your, I'm, I'm in your embrace. If, if he picks at me, he's going to poke you. I don't want to mess. I wouldn't want to be the one that messes with, with God. Because God is known to snap fingers and things happen. Now, all of these things, be very mindful of your perspective. Be, be, be very mindful of where you stand. Even when you come here. Even when you serve here. You don't come, you shouldn't come here thinking, They're going to give me. They need to speak to me. They need to play for me, please. (laughs) Be mindful of your mindset walking into this place. How do you show up to, to gatherings? What is your expectation? Do you, ex- do you expect to receive a sermon or a message, or do you expect to give a moment, to give a space for the Father's move? Because if you expect to hear a sermon, <laughs> it's not going to be very impressive. <laughs> but if you, if you expect to you create a space for the Father's move, that will mark you deeply, and that will change you. In this moment, in what I try to do when I stand here, and when I prepare, and I pray, and I seek, and I ask, I say, Lord, I, 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 I want to have the words, yes, but I want to be a space. Because words are limited. You can do more in five seconds than me preaching for five hours. <laughs> because if I'm a space, God fills it. And what God fills up, God doesn't leave the same. <laughs> so when you come here, church, I don't want you to come in here expecting a good sermon. Sermons are plenty. Go to YouTube. Watch a sermon if you want. Come in this place expecting to create a space for God to fill. The moment you walk into this place, 
from the worship to the closing prayer. Oh, how different things would be when we just create a space. Just a space. A space where God can just walk freely. Can you imagine if all, if all of us here were just spaces, God would just run. Almost, I, this is how I picture it. When we create space for God to be God, it's, I see like when I see Oliver and we let him go free in the mall, he, the kid just takes off. He just runs. He doesn't care where he's at. He doesn't care about anything. He, the kid gets in everyone's way. But he doesn't care. Because why? He has all the space he wants. He already knows that when we go to the mall and we go to the back part where the little minion thing is, he already knows, hey, it's my time. And he starts, let me go, let me go. And when you let him go, boom, because that's all he wanted. That's, this is my space. And we let him. He goes inside, he goes outside, he goes into the grass area, he goes with other kids. He's free to do whatever he wants. When we allow God to create space and we just act as a space for him, God says, whew, let me stretch a little bit because this, this is going to be a good one. God just begins to run and move. And when you're struggling with, if you're struggling with a need, he runs right past you and now your need is gone. You have an infirmity and God just runs past you and boom, you're healed because you are just a space for him to fill. But we need to become spaces. I, I don't stand up here to give you a word or a sermon. There's a time and a place, yes. But my mission is never to hear, here's a sermon. My mission is a space. And if these words are your words, Father, so be it. I just want to be a space that you run around and as you're running, you're just you're touching different areas in my life. You're touching different needs. You're healing mindsets. You're healing perspectives. You're healing my vocabulary. You're changing because the way you see things is the way that you're going to speak. Spend, spend enough time with someone negative, and you hear everything they talk about is bad. Everything. I cannot be around people like that for too long. Where everything is just a problem, 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 and they just boom, 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 boom. I have, to, I have to stop and give me a second to just look at the Father and say help. Because where you, what, what you see and where you stand will be what you talk about. If all you see is what's wrong and the negative and the bad and the ugly and you're speaking like Lucifer. You have a Luciferian vocabulary. Oh, I felt that one. Oh, man. And, it, and it, it's very easy to allow that to pop up in you and your frustrations and, and anger. And I could just feel the father's frustration when his children speak to him like the one who he had to cast out.
Because the Father didn't birth the angels, He birthed His children. He made us to look like Him. He didn't make the angels to look like Him. (laughs) He made us to look like Him. And it breaks the Father's heart when His children sound like Lucifer. But see, that's what Lucifer wants. For us to sound like him. For us to think like him. But the Father says to you and says to me this morning, I will renew your minds. I will break the habits, break the mindsets, break the vocabulary if you just allow me to father you. I won't have time to go into the second one that I wanted to give you, but we will... We're going to resume this (laughs) on a Wednesday, 14th. Oh, no, not not the 14th. Next Wednesday. When I'm up here again, I'm going to give you the ninth strategy. I won't say the, the, the last one because I don't know when the last one will be. But I, I just I, I I just love when the Father speaks. I love when He just continues to show you more and more and more. And I encourage you, church, that when you leave this place today, you think very hard and you dig deep and you ask the Father, Lord, do I sound like you? Do I see like you? Do I speak like you? Or do I sound, speak like the one that you casted out? I, I, I often find myself praying, Lord, take me back to Eden. Take me back to that place of communion. where Adam and Eve were whole, perfect. And I want us to stand to our feet as we close this morning in prayer. And if you have someone, someone close to you, just put your arm around them. Just hug them. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for this moment. I thank you, O oh Father, for this moment. For your spirit, for your love, and for your embrace. As I hold on to someone, Lord, I, I want to be... I want to be you to this person that I'm hugging right now. I want to be Papa to this person that I'm holding on to right now. Lord, because you call us to represent you on earth. And I pray in this moment that everyone right now would just be representators, a, a, a representation of Father, Father's embrace to the person that they're holding on to right now. Let them feel your love, Lord.
Let them feel your, your warmth. Let them know that if they need comforting, that you're there. And you're just a, a, one embrace away. Thank you for exposing the enemy this morning, Father. I pray and as we're hugging the, someone around us, Lord, I, we, we, we pray over them that the, the enemy's operation in their life is canceled, stops. His influence is broken. His plans have been revealed and his schemes have been stopped. In Jesus' name, Lord, we, we, we embrace the person around us and we speak the Father's love, the Father's embrace, the Father's truth over them, that they are a son, a daughter of the Most High, that the Father has a plan for their life, that they are not a perverse person, but that they are redeemed by the blood shed on the cross by the Son of the Most High. We pray for their mind, Lord. We pray for their mind right now, that you would renew it, that you would make it new, that you would do away with the old and you would place a new way of thinking, a, a new way of seeing, and a new way of speaking. We pray this in the glorious name of Jesus. And the church says, Amen, Amen, and Amen.